Well, good morning. Glad y'all are here today. So Lydia, Lydia grew up, you're going to love these. There's Possum Grape and Evening Shade. What are some other great city names in Arkansas? Let me tell you my favorite one. Her grandparents lived in Leechville. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I know, I'm going to be in trouble later. Lydia's like <laughs> glaring at me. Well, I want you to know I labored over this message for a long time. This is the fourth iteration of this message, and I wrote and filed three others before it. So it wasn't like a quick journey to what we've arrived at today for me. Uh, maybe we're, God willing, we'll return to some of those other ones later. But I want you to know that for me, I don't go into this as one who has arrived, like I know it all, and I've got it all figured out. This is a journey for all of us. And, and we're all on this journey together. I always preach to myself the message that I'm going to do on a Sunday morning before I teach it to the church, because that's really the only way it works, is if God's changing me as he changes us together. So I want you to know that while it might sound like some of these things are the kind of things you'd expect a pastor to say, that I'm saying them to myself as well. And I hope that as we go through this, um, we'll discover together what God's saying to all of us, and ask him what we should do with it, and see if we arrive at the decision together to go forward. That's, that's my prayer. So take your Bibles out, look at Acts 1, it's going to be up on the screen as well. Acts 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses, and uh, then we're going to start unpacking them. Acts 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the time he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they all met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the days or the times, the times of the dates, the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I love this passage because these guys, these 11, and, and arguably there are probably some other folks with them, are here hearing Jesus' last words. They spent 40 days seeing him off and on, hearing him teach, hearing him talk about uh, the last commands. You know, we talk about the Great Commission. I don't know if you refer to it as that. Go therefore and, uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So they've, they've sat with him. They've eaten with him. They've sat around campfires and heard from him. And now, I don't know if they knew it was coming or not, but at this moment... Christ gives them one last little, uh, little poke and says, here's what you're going to do, now go do it. And, and he goes up into the clouds and they're just standing there and they're looking up into the sky. 
they have these directions from God, but they're just standing there, and they're looking, and, and, and it's as if God knew that was going to happen, so he sent these angels to kind of tap them on the shoulder. It's like, hey, guys, um, what are you looking at? <laughs> He's going to come back, but you have something to do in the meantime. So you need to focus. That's basically what the angels told him. You've got to focus. So God sends these angels to break them out of their stupor. Until Christ comes back, you have a job to do. That's a message for us. That's a message for the church. When Jesus was speaking to the eleven, he had us in mind as well, because he knew we would need to be reminded that we have a task to do. When God set out to create the New Testament church, I believe he envisioned a people that would be enabled and released to a place. The place where they live, the place where they work, the place where they play a city, a town, a neighborhood, in order to impact that place for Christ. He would give them a goal. He would say, here's the place you live. Go be witnesses there. And what he wanted them to do is not just have an impact on that place, but he wanted them to claim that place for Christ. In the name of Christ, claim the place where you live. Not a people who just sit. We like to sit. In fact, in in churches, we have a big room that's devoted to sitting. For better or for worse, that's kind of how it's evolved in the church, that we have a room where we sit. But he didn't create a people to sit. He didn't create a people to sit in a classroom or a worship gathering or a small group, albeit we do that, we spend some time doing that, but he created a people to be enabled and be released to do the work of God. And that work is what? Jesus already told them. He already told us. In verse, uh, I don't know if it's up there or not, but, but in verse X. Uh, 180 said, and you will be my witnesses. He said, here's what you're going to do. Here's who you're going to be, a witness. Uh, I don't know if the definition is going to be up there or not, but the definition that I have here for a witness is somebody that gives or serves as evidence of something, to testify about something or to openly profess your faith. So we have a lot of different kind of understandings about a, what, a, what a witness is. Some of us may even have Um, negative ideas of what it means to be a witness because it reminds us of some other denominations that come knocking at the door, right? And you're like, I don't know if I want to be like those witnesses. (laughs) But Christ said clearly, you will be my witnesses. The work of each Christ follower is defined by Christ is to be his witness. Now, witness is a verb, okay? I know you probably already knew that. It carries with it the idea of action. You can't be in action if you're sitting or if you're looking up at the sky. Now, granted, sitting is a verb, right? Reading is a verb. Studying is a verb. The things we're doing today are verbs, right? The the, the actions that we're carrying out. But most of them are passive, and most of them are for our benefit. Now, worship's not for our benefit, but, but reading, studying, sitting... Christ called us to be active. He called us to be active. He called us to tell people about Christ, openly professing your Christian faith to another person. And this is something we can't get around. We can't sugarcoat it. There's no way around it. Being a Christian will always mean telling other people about Christ. It will always mean that you're telling somebody about Christ. And did you know that no matter if you're speaking or not, you're telling somebody about Christ? You are telling people about Christ. 
what story are you telling? I don't know. You'll have to figure that one out yourself, but you'll have to, you'll have to decide. You can't do that sitting around, and you can't do that staring at the sky. God knew that was going to be the case, so he sent the angels, tap on the guy's shoulders, hey, wake up from your stupor. Quit staring at the sky. Christ will come back when he comes back. Don't worry about that. You will be the witnesses for Christ. Look at 1 Peter 3. Uh, verse 15, it says, But in your heart set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. There's four things I want to talk about here. Real quickly, first, if you're a Christian, Peter is saying this. Part of the package of being a Christian is that you have hope. Do you have hope today? Wow. Let's try that again. Do you have hope today? Yes. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> that's why Peter wanted to write that. That's why he was reminding He's like, hey, Christian, hey, follower of Christ, you have hope. We have hope. We have hope for an abundant life. We have hope for an eternal life. We have hope of a risen and living Savior. We have hope for a future. Christ says a witness will always be ready to share about that hope. Okay, so that's the first thing. Second thing. By Peter's word choices here, we understand it's natural for your Christianity, your Christian life, to be lived out publicly. Why do we know that? He says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. You you get the implication there. People should be asking you. They should see Christ in you. They should see the way you live, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you conduct business, the way you parent your children, the way you respond to your parents, whatever it is. They should see something in you that causes them to look and say, I need to know what's going on with that guy. Hey, tell me, why do you act differently? You know, I saw a guy the other day do this, and he, you know, he honked his horn, and he, he you know, made some motions and called him some names. You didn't do that. Why do you react differently than other people I see? That's a request for you to share the hope. Why do you act differently? Why do you live differently? Peter indicates by his word choices that we have to live that out publicly. It's not something we just live on Sunday. It's not something we put on when we come to sit in the big room where we sit and listen. It, it, that's not what the Christian life is about. That's not what Peter is talking about. Remember, if Jesus is truly your treasure... You will always speak about him, whether you use words or not. You will always speak about him if he's your treasure. Third thing Peter talks about here, he says, when asked, we should know what to say. People are going to ask you, they're going to realize, they're going to see something in you. They don't, may not recognize it as Christ, but they'll look at you and they'll say, that guy's different, that lady's different, I want to know what's going on with them. Hey, what's going on with you? You share the hope. You know what to say when that time comes. Have you ever had that opportunity to share the hope, but you drop the ball? Hey, that fits, doesn't it? Because we're going to watch football today. Right? They threw the ball right to you. Hey, why do you have hope? Why do you act that way? Why did you respond that way? And you're like, ah, I'm just kind of, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I like to cut people a break. Let me just kind of drop the ball. Does that ever happen? Yeah? I, I hope I see some head shaking, because if we're not, we're, we're not being honest. We drop the ball. Christ says, you are going to have opportunities. I I hope you have opportunities. If you don't, we need to work on having opportunities, but opportunities to share. Now listen, it's not just about knowledge. When you have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Christ and they ask you for the reason, for the hope that you have, they don't want knowledge. 
They want to know your story. They want to know who you are. They want to know why you are the way you are. They don't want to know what you believe. They want to know why you believe. How has a relationship with Christ changed you? I grew up Catholic. A lot of people here grew up Catholic. I know there's, but there's some. I grew up Catholic. We went to a really good Catholic church growing up. I mean, for Catholic churches. It was pretty alive. It even had an underground Christian movement. One of the priests was leading people to Christ and baptizing them as believers, which was like crazy. We went to that church for a couple years. We kind of got involved in that movement. And then one day, my dad got a new job and we moved across the state. This is all in New Mexico. We moved to a quiet little town with a quiet little Catholic church where they turned the lights down real low and everything was dark and everything was quiet. And we went there two or three times and we kind of looked at each other and said, I don't want to go to church anymore. So we quit going. Now, concurrently with that, there was this guy at my dad's work that was inviting him to church. And then there was a guy who was in school with me, same grade, he was inviting me to church. And for one reason or another, I'm an only child, so my mom, my dad, and I, we sat down, we had family meetings every once in a while. I don't know why you need a family meeting for three people, but we did. <laughs> Some of you have how many, Faith? Fifteen. Now, you need a family meeting if you've got 15 people in the family. There's a couple other big families here. Who else had a bunch of siblings? Ten? Thirteen? Okay. That's a lot. You need a family meeting when you've got 15 people, right? We sat down and had a family meeting. We shared what was going on. You know, I was like, hey, this guy's inviting me to church. And, you know, and, and my dad said, hey, this guy works inviting me to church. You think we should go? Let's go. We were scared to death because Catholics are afraid of no other religion more than they are of Baptists. You might feel that way too. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll talk about that later. But they're afraid of Baptists. Because Baptists talk about, hey, walk down the aisle and get saved, or hey, you need to get baptized as an adult. They, hey, you need to go tell people about Christ. Those were kind of scary things, right? So we kind of went with some fear and trepidation to church. It was Christmas time, and we listened for the first time. It wasn't the first time I'd heard the gospel, but it was the first time that it resonated with me. The three of us, we sat and we listened, and the pastor preached, and he spoke about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we came back the next Sunday, and he spoke again about the gospel of Christ. And we came back the next Sunday, and he spoke again. And then we're like, we, we went down, and we, we, we talked to him, and he said, hey, we want to know more about this, this gospel of Christ. And he said, meet me in my office a certain day and time. We went, and he shared Christ with us, and my mom and my dad and I, all three of us, prayed in his office, along with the pastor, to receive Christ. The next week, we were baptized, and we were, we were on this new journey, because Christ had, had become real to us. And he had changed us. And that's the kind of story people want to know about. When you are, are approached and, and somebody says, tell me about the hope you have in Christ, they probably won't ask it that way. <laughs> if they do, they're setting you up, probably. But you respond by saying, hey, you know what? Here's what I was like before I met Christ. I was this person, and I acted this way, and I did these things. And then, and then I met Christ and he changed me, and now I live this way. You could have this too. Christ can change you. And then you've got them. You've got them listening because you've made the story of the gospel of Christ personal to them. So Peter says we have hope. He says that hope should be worn so that it's recognized. Then that hope should be 
prepared so that we know what to say. And then the last thing he says is to do this with gentleness and respect. Have you ever been approached by a Christian who wanted to evangelize you and they didn't do it with respect? Anybody? I have. Uh, they, they didn't approach it with, with respect and they didn't approach it with gentleness. They just came and pounded on you. You're going to hell. You're a terrible person. Christ wants to save you. All true things. I mean, those, you know, we all deserve, we don't deserve anything good. We were created in the image of God, but we're broken, right? We're sinful. We're separated. We deserve, as my daughter so often puts, um, we deserve death and hell. I don't know what, she's a PK. That's what she says. We deserve death and hell, Dad. Yep. But for the grace of God, we have eternal life. When he saves us, when he changes us, when he transforms us. We do this with gentleness and respect. I think this is even more important now in our culture than it has ever been before. That we talk to people about the story of the gospel of Christ and the transformation in our life with gentleness and with respect. And in the words of Paul, we put on love over all things with love. Now, I've crammed, a, I've crammed a ton in today's three points. This first point, uh, and in fact, each point, I'm going to end with a statement. So here's our first statement. Um, this is where we kind of draw the, the net of what we're talking about in the message with what's going on today and this weekend in the church. They're all going to start with the same sentence. If you call me to be the pastor of this church, you need to know the following. So are you ready? Here's the first statement. It will be my goal to position this church to enable the local body that includes all of you and all of the people that aren't here yet. You realize there will be people here that aren't here yet. And our, our, our goal will be to position the church to reclaim the community for the glory of Christ. To drive a stake in the ground in this place that claims Elmwood Park for the glory of Christ and in the name of Christ. So that's going to be the first thing. All right? And we do that because Christ has called us to be what? That was overwhelming. <laughs> Christ has called us to be what? There we go. Okay. There's three more words at the very end. Four more words. By whatever means necessary. Reclaim. Make the church a beacon of light that cries out and screams out even Christ to the community with gentleness and respect. All right? First thing. All right, so let's go on to the second point. Uh, I call this point witnesses, but where? <laughs> well, we kind of know, right? Elmwood Park. But well, let's get to that because Christ outlines this very specifically and very clearly. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, we understand traditionally, there's actually two ways of understanding this passage. Traditionally, it's understood kind of from a geographical perspective, right? We know those are four places. Judea is the place where, I'm sorry, Jerusalem is the place where they were. They knew where Jerusalem was, right? Jerusalem was in Judea. It was like the county. It was like the area, the region that Jerusalem was in. So they understood that these were like ever-widening areas. Samaria was another place, in this instance, another country, one that they had great enmity with. If you read the scriptures at all, you come to understand that the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. 
There's a lot of stories. Christ uses the Samaritan Jew issue several times in Scripture to teach important lessons. But the four would immediately understand this when they heard it. Of course, that last place is to the ends of the earth. That's everywhere else. In respect to modern-day Christians, as we look back in the Scripture and we say, okay, what does this mean to us today? Because we don't live in Judea. We don't live in Jerusalem. We don't live in Samaria. We're kind of in the ends of the earth, right? But we look at this more as a representative text. These areas today are more like representative areas. So Jerusalem, we come to understand to mean the area where we're planted. So where would our Jerusalem be? Elmwood Park, right. Okay, so our Jerusalem is Elmwood Park. Jerusalem is placed in a place called Judea. What's Elmwood Park placed in? A lot of things, right? (laughs) I heard a lot of responses. It could be Chicagoland, right? It's part of Chicagoland. It could be Cook County. It could be Illinois. It could be the United States. It it could be pretty broad, you know, because in, in that day, they were pretty much talking about like an area of people or a country. So it could be as broad as the whole United States. It could be as narrow as the county. Um, that is not important. It gets trickier when we get to Samaria. Because do we really have a Samaria? Kind of. I mean, you know, di- different eras in, in the United States history, we've had different what we would consider Enemies, people we didn't like, people we were um, at war with or potentially at war with, right? So we've got what? We had the British way back when. We're friends with them now. Um, Sorry, Marina. Russia, during the Cold War, wherever you are, I don't see you. Oh, there she is. During the Cold War, it was Russia. Now I don't think we're afraid of Russia necessarily anymore. Now maybe North Korea? I don't know, but there could be a lot of other... I I wrote some things down. It could be um, White Sox fans. Okay, so you could have enmity with White Sox fans, right? Okay, so I had to put one in there. <laughs> it could be political. It could be, a, and a lot of people in the country have problems now with immigrants. I don't know if you do or not. That's neither here nor there, but it could be political. It could be um, theological. There are a lot of different things, but the point is, Christ here is saying, go be my witnesses, I'm sorry, to the White Sox fans. I know, it's tough. Go and be my witnesses to those who are most threatening to you. Go be my witnesses to those who are most abhorrent to you, those you detest and despise, or those who are difficult. That might change it for you, too. Who who do you know that's difficult? Cubs fans. Okay, wow. I'm not getting into that fight. But whoever that is... That's your Samaria. You're called to that as well as your Jerusalem and your Judea. Now, the ends of the earth, we understand that's everywhere else. That one's obvious. So what do we do with this? I rewrote Acts 1. I don't I think it's going to be up there, but, but it says this. You will be my witnesses in Elmwood Park. Oh, it is there. And Chicago land. I should have put White Sox fans. And among those you dislike and the rest of the world. Who, does anybody like the White Sox in here? Okay, see, there's some, I see. So you've got to be fair. You've got to be fair. It shouldn't be about who likes what sports team. Faith's like, oh. What does this mean to us? What does it mean for us? This is our guidebook. This is, this is 
This is specifically tailored. I know it looks when you when you first read it and you see Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, you're like, okay, that 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 was then. What does it mean to us now? What it means to us now is our calling as a witness starts at home. That's the first place. So that is Elmwood Park. That's why in that first point, I said the first thing we do is Elmwood Park. We're called to, to, to be witnesses here, right outside the doors when you go out today. That's your Jerusalem. To the left, to the right, to the north, to the south, across the street, behind the church. I wrote down some street names here because I don't know them all. From Harlem to Thatcher, from Belmont to North. That kind of encapsulates, doesn't it? Elmwood Park. That's your Jerusalem. That's our Jerusalem. That's the place that we start. Then Judea, maybe all of Chicagoland. Then beyond that, we, we talk about that later. But the note here that I want to make is, is another little kind of... It's kind of a, a, a current issue, if you will. In that day, I think when Jesus told the eleven... Here is your Jerusalem. Go to it. They, I think they had a really good understanding of what that Jerusalem was. Because they had just been, I mean, they, they still lived there. They had been part of it. They were only, you know, two to three years in, depending on when they kind of signed on with Christ. They were only a couple of years in to being Christians. They probably still had tons of, of, of family that were still Jewish, Right? These guys had a really good idea of what it's like. That's not so true for us anymore, is it? Especially if we've been in the church 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We are kind of at a point now where we go to the door and we look out and we realize that everything's changed. And we didn't adjust. And we didn't make changes we needed to make. And maybe what's out there makes us angry. Anybody admit to that? It's like, it's different. Yeah. You look out the door and it's like, wow, there's some stuff out there that makes me angry. Anybody look out there and there's there's some stuff that makes me fearful. It's like, maybe I'm even a little bit afraid to go out now because it changed so much. I don't recognize it anymore. I want the old Jerusalem back. I want the old Elmwood Park back. I'm sorry, but the old Jerusalem's not coming back. The old Elmwood Park's not coming back. The old Chicago's not coming back. The old Illinois, the old United States, the way it was, unfortunately, is not coming back. That's a distinctive that we have to deal with now that I'm not sure when Christ said this, they had to deal with then. Because we look out the door now and we don't understand how to penetrate the growing darkness. We don't understand how to be a witness anymore. And it's scary and it's daunting. Those places are gone, and it's time for us as, a, as, as, as an evangelical church in the United States to adopt a new vision. I've got three words for you. Here's the new vision for all the church. The, you know, assuming you call me as pastor, we could put this up on big words in the hallway. You probably won't like it. Are you ready for it? Change or die. That's the vision for the evangelical church in the United States today. Change or die. And the proof is all around us. Churches close every week all over the United States at an ever-quickening pace. It's happening. 
and it's threatening. Change or die. Now, listen to what I am not saying here before you get worried. This doesn't change. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't change. Who God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, those things don't change. How a person comes to Christ, those things don't change. What the Bible says about lifestyle choices and, and, and decisions we make in this life, those things don't change. What does change is our attitude here and here. The way we approach things methodologically. I'm sorry, methods have got to change. Uh, across all denominations and non-denominations, I'm sure, there are ways we did things 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago that, that they worked really well then, and we would love the same as we'd like to look out the door and see the place we'd like it to be. We would love the things we used to use that, that, that worked. We would love for them to work now, but they don't. The way things used to be doesn't work anymore. The church has to come to the point where they adopt this new I like a vision statement. Change or die. And that has to be continuous. Because it's going to change again in five years. It's going to change again in 10, in 20, in 30. Elmwood Park that you look out the door in 30 years is going to look completely different again. If there's anything I've learned about Chicago in the short time I've been studying it is that nothing stays the same. Everything changes. People groups move. They migrate, they shift, they become more affluent, and they move out to the edges, right? And then the edges move out to the suburbs, and then I fall down the stairs. <laughs> but it all moves, and it all changes. And every time it changes, and every time it shifts, the church has to step back and say, okay, what changed? What happened? How do we approach it? What attitude do we have to change in our heart and in our minds? What, what strategies and philosophies of, of ministry and methodologies do we have to change and shift to, to reach this, this new culture? And that's going to continue to happen. Take a look with me at Philippians 3, 10 through 14. And I hope this gives us a little direction for this. This is uh, the words of Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And he says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Listen to what he says. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, we press on, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Please hear me say this again that I am not saying the past holds no value. I don't think anybody in this room would agree with that statement. We wouldn't be here today in this building, in this place, in this gathering as a body if the past, the way it happened, didn't happen. There's value that brought us to this point in time. The things that uh, Elmwood Park, what was it? Tabernacle? Right? Elmwood Park Christian Tabernacle? Gospel Tabernacle, that's it. Lorraine was telling me about that yesterday. Did, you, did some of you even know that was the original name? Yeah. Okay, so, so the church, Elmwood Park Gospel Tabernacle started. Then it changed to Elmwood Park 
Gospel Church than Elmwood Park Bible Church. So there's been some iterations of the church. Somewhere along the way, people realize we have to change or die. This isn't new. It's happened before. It's okay, and it's healthy. But if those things hadn't happened along the way, and those churches hadn't started and shifted and changed, if they just threw up their hands between, you know, hey, we're we're just going to be done, we're finished, and it closed and it was over, then that past probably was in some way wasted. But we're not at a place today where the past is wasted. So do not hear me say that. When Paul says, forgetting what, behind, what is behind and straining to what ahead, he's talking, I think we can understand that as methodologies. We need to forget some of the old ways we did things. And we need to find some new ways to do things. Because we have new people and new culture. But we don't forget what brought us here. We don't forget the history The people who prayed, the people who gave, the people who loved, the people who lived as witnesses for Christ, people that probably brought some of you to Christ that may even still be in the room today, and you can look and say, hey, there's my spiritual mother and father over there sitting. They brought me to faith in Christ. Those things are not wasted. The world has changed. The country's changed. Illinois has changed. Chicago has changed. Has Elmwood Park changed at all? I don't see it because I don't know. But to hear Dave talk about it, he, he's got all kinds of stories about stuff that's changed. You know. It'll change again. If together as the body of Christ we commit ourselves today to start reclaiming Elmwood Park for Christ, that will be the very best way we can live out Acts 1.8. That'll be the very best way. In an active and Christ-honoring way that positions this church for a new future. I like to call it a preferred future. You know, when you look to the future, you can say, hey, there's a lot of ways this could turn out. Some of them are not preferred, right? But when we look to the future, it's like, hey, here's a preferred future. Here's what we can shoot for. This is what we're talking about here. So here's our second statement. If you call me to be the pastor of this church, you need to know the following. It will be my goal to lead this church to identify and engage the areas that represent Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth for us with the gospel of Jesus Christ to the best of our ability. We're going to engage those places. It will be my goal that we lean into the future, putting the future in front of us, straining, as Paul puts it, and leaning into what is ahead, putting the past behind us, and beginning to do the things that will change the culture of this church and change the culture of this community for the glory of God. I know those are long sentences. You're trying to write them down. (sighs) It's a lot of stuff. For the glory of God. Everything we do for God's glory. Not for us. Not to make it more comfortable for us. Not to make it better for us. Not to increase the offering. Not to whatever. Whatever's on your mind. Hey, we could do this thing. That's not the reason. For the glory of God. That's the reason. Everything we do will be to identify and engage this community. It's, it's, it's a shift of mission. I've been listening to a lot of book, or listening to a lot of like podcasts and reading and studying, and there's this thing that's called mission drift. It's where a, a church or a charity, when they start, they say, hey, here's our mission, whatever it's going to be. Engage Elmwood Park for Christ. That could be the mission. Over time, churches 
and nonprofit charities and different organizations, they experience what's called mission drift, where you literally drift away from your mission. If you can think back to any charity you've ever been a part of or any church you've ever been a part of, you can probably envision and see this happen. It's human nature to drift away from the mission. A a, a charity might have started as a Christian charity and a service charity, and over time the Christian part kind of fell by the wayside, and they end up just being a service charity, and the mission and the gospel is gone. And they've drifted so far from the mission, they've become something else. This happens to all churches. This is the change or die. You have to look at it. What are we doing? How have we drifted from the mission? What should the mission be? Refocus. It's something we have to continually do to make sure we don't drift, to engage the community. Last point here is witnesses, but how? We go, if you notice in, in Acts 1.8, I started in the middle and went to the end, and I left the beginning for the last. We're going to kind of circle the wagon here. In Montana, my youngest daughter, Rebecca, and I like to hike when it's warm enough. I think I told some of you yesterday it snows about 10 months out of the year, off and on, where we live. This last year it snowed in June, it snowed in, uh, I know it's terrible, Sarah, it's horrible. It's awful. It snowed in July, it snowed in September, and in October we got 17 inches or something, it was awful, we hated it. We hated the snow. But when you hike, you have to be prepared. So Becca and I would take, you know, we would start on short hikes, then we'd go a little further, then a little further. I did this more than Becca because she's in much better shape than I am. So by the end of the summer, two summers ago, we didn't hike much last summer, too many forest fires, too much smoke. But last summer, two summers ago, we planned a hike. Was it like a 14-mile hike? 14 or 15-mile hike from about 5,000 6,000 feet up to over 10,000 to the highest peak in the whole valley. It's called Highlight Peak. And so we got our backpacks, and we got water, and we got a water filter, and then we packed all kinds of layers, right? We put in coats, some pants, rain gear. I'm glad we brought the rain gear because it thunderstormed on our way back down. I don't know how the weather is here, really, but in Montana they say wait an hour. They say wait 10 minutes, but really, honestly, wait an hour and it will change is very true. In the mountains, it will snow every month of the year in Montana. So if you hike, you have to be ready. You have to have your layers, and you have to have your rain gear, and you have to have matches and food and some stuff in case you get trapped or stuck and you need a fire. Um, Sometimes the phones work. Unfortunately, Highlight Peak, the phones don't work on about 90% of the hike. So during the thunderstorm, Lydia was like driving the Highlight Peak parking lot, where she's like, got to find them because they don't answer their phone. Of course, we were that last stretch, like the last 50% of the stretch, no cell phone coverage. So you have to be ready. You have to let people know where you are. There's a lot of preparation that goes into that. All of that to say, that's kind of our human nature, isn't it? That we want to prepare. We want to have that bag that's got something in it for every inevitability, It could be sunny all day on the mountain, and it's beautiful, and you wear t-shirts and shorts, and everything's great. It could thunderstorm at the end, and you've got to put on the rain gear. But it's, it's in our human nature to prepare. So as we look at this and we talk about this preferred future, we might be thinking, what do we need to do to pump ourselves up? We've got to study something. We've got to 
be prepared spiritually. We have to maybe find some new silver bullet program or evangelism method that's going to win Elmwood. I know, this is crazy, right? Win Elmwood Park for Christ with this, this silver bullet thing. That is a very human question. What do we need to do? Would you agree? When I'm confronted with a goal or a, an obstacle, that's kind of the thing that comes to mind. What do I need to do to get over that, around that, by that? What do, what do I have to do to prepare for it? It's human, and it's a good question in most circumstances, but for the church, it's the wrong question. It's the wrong question for this reason. Look back at Acts 1.8 at the beginning, the very first part of the verse, and it says something very peculiar. <laughs> You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And as a result of that power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We find direction, we find strength, we find strategy, we find energy, we find methodology, everything literally in what God has already given us by putting the Holy Spirit in us when he saved us. What do we need to do to be his witnesses? What do we need to do to prepare? You know, do we need to take six months as a church and study something, take a year and really hunker down and pray? And there's nothing wrong with studying. There's nothing wrong with praying. Don't get me wrong. We need to do those things. But according to Christ, according to what Paul's written here, we're already ready because the power has already come. Trust and rely on the power of God as it is transferred to us by the spirit of the living God in us. That has already been finished. That's already been completed. It's already here. And for some reason, we forget this over and over. I don't know why. It's like, a, it's like an institutional church kind of thing. We, we think we have to psych ourselves up. We have, to get, we have to get spiritual. We have to get ready. But, but God has already empowered you. Did you know that? He's already put the Spirit of God in you as a deposit to guarantee the inheritance that you will one day have, that when God looks down at you and you're a follower of Christ, He sees the seal of the Holy Spirit on your life, and He knows that guy's mine. And I'm going to put my power in him or her, and they're going to be my witnesses, and they don't have to do anything else. But go be a witness. Go Live the hope. Go be a alive little, and that's the word Christian means little Christ. Go be a little Christ to the world. And you already have it. On the day Christ spoke that to the eleven and to us, he was saying, I am calling you to be part of this. I don't know why. I, I, I ask myself all the time. I don't dare ask God because he said this is how it is. Why would God save us and then make us part of the mechanism for bringing other people to Christ? I have no idea. But that's how he does it. He says, now that you are in Christ and I put my spirit in you, you will be my witnesses. You will now be a little Christ for me, to draw people to me, for my glory. That's how God designed it. I don't know why, but he did. It wasn't like he said, hey guys, you know, if you want to, 
you, you could be my friend. You ever, you ever had a friend, you know, like middle school, it's like, hey, you know, we could be friends. You want to be friends? Hey, you want to be my girlfriend? You know, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like, hey, you know, if you guys want to, I'm having a little missions thing next week, and you could come be a part of it. He didn't even ask if we wanted to. Did you read that scripture we just read? If we're in Christ, it says, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. There was no choice. There was no, hey, do you want to be? Hey, would you like to be? Hey, you can kind of, you know, hang out and see if you want to try it on for size. He said, you will be these things. So this brings me to the last statement. If you call me to be the pastor of this church, you need to know the following, and I don't think anybody will disagree with this. It will be my goal that we completely rely upon direction from God and the power of Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each of us to do what we have been called to do. What is that? Be witnesses. Be witnesses to Christ, to Elmwood Park, to Chicagoland, to Illinois, to the ends of the earth. That's it. That is what he has called us to do. If we can all agree on those things, <laughs> that that's what God is telling us to do in his scripture then I'm ready to do it. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but we are thrilled to be here. We are excited for what lies ahead. I told Dave we were, we were taking a little tour of the building and stuff, and, and you know he was a little bit like, yeah, and this is old, and that's kind of broken. And you know what? Stuff happens in buildings. And I told Dave this. I said, there are church planters all over Chicago and all over the United States and all around the world that would that would die. They would give a leg and an arm to have a place. That's part of the heritage of what's brought us to today. That there's already a place in Elmwood Park that the, that the community knows as a church that can become something even greater than it is today. A beacon, a light, a stake in the ground, if you will, that points to Christ and claims Christ and claims Elmwood Park. And I think this is really cool because this is something that's happening all around the nation in churches that are struggling or churches that are weighing the, do we stay open, do we close? This is happening all over the country that, that people are realizing, because let me back up a little bit and say this. When we were starting churches 15, 20 years ago, the prevailing philosophy was if a church was like kind of mm, not doing so great, you just kind of left them to their own devices and started something new. And you kind of let the old stuff just kind of fade away. That's kind of the prevailing philosophy around the, around the country. Now the prevailing philosophy is there are churches that maybe uh, kind of not doing so great, but they already have a place in the community, a place where Christ has said, this is mine. And this is a place that claims the community for Christ. And I want to see this church become that. And I think churches all over Chicago can become that. And churches all over the United States can reclaim their communities for Christ. That's what I would love to see happen. I'll keep talking. <laughs> but we should probably close. I don't know what time you normally close. It's 10 after. You sing after this, right? So we'll pray. Dave will take over. And then I think we're going to answer some questions. Um, but that's, that's about all I can say without just continuing to go, we'll stop, we'll pray. All right, let's pray. <laughs>